Welcome to season two of Beyond the Bell. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you might notice that the background music sounds different. I have to thank my friend Jim Streisel, who teaches in Carmel, Indiana, and is part of the band The Dead Squirrels, for creating BTB's new intro and outro music. Thanks, Jim. Today's guest is Sachin Junjunwala, who teaches AP Stats and is a math instructional coach in Highland Park, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. He has been teaching remotely with plans to go hybrid soon. Hi, welcome Sachin to Beyond the Bell. I'm happy to have you today and I'm happy our mutual friend Julia connected us. Uh, I'm an English teacher, so this podcast has been kind of language arts focused, but I'm really interested in having teachers from other disciplines on as well too. And you teach math. And so how has that been like during the pandemic and you've been teaching remotely this whole time? Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, I think teaching math has been uh, an interesting experience both for teachers and for students to really understand um, how much the human element really does matter in learning math. I, I know in talking to students, they they don't often realize like, you know, math is really hard to learn remotely. There's other things where I can re- learn it remotely, but I really need someone next to me to talk to or someone to bounce questions off of in a more human way. And so I think one of the things I learned about remote teaching is um, it's hard for a subject that seems so objective and yet requires such a human touch in order to connect uh, the this objective or seemingly objective topic with our humanity, and um, you know, so I, I heard a, a phrase that that kind of struck with me, which is, you know, math is simple, and humans are complicated, and it's my job really to navigate that complexity and make it seem simple for students. And what has your like schedule been like at your school in terms of what what is your like what does a typical day look like or week look like? Yeah, so on Mondays we have asynchronous learning. Um, which has gone back and forth between you're allowed to offer synchronous sessions, you're required to offer synchronous sessions, you can require students to be there, and just you must do everything asynchronously. Um, Mondays, we've been playing with the ideas and trying to have the idea of community days where we could bring students into our building in small groups for various sessions on Monday. And so um, there was then a movement to make everything asynchronous so that students could do whatever work they needed to for their core classes in the morning, and then maybe come in in the afternoon for an activity, whether it's academic or extracurricular or otherwise. Um, Because the numbers haven't come down to that point, we've had very few community days, um, but Mondays are asynchronous. And then we have a block schedule, um, alternating uh, odd periods, even periods, odd periods, even periods. So we have a nine period day and the odd periods come on uh, Tuesday, Thursday, even periods, Wednesday, Friday. And you teach AP stats, but you also are an instructional coach. So how has that been in terms of like your split of time or what, what, how have you used your role as an instructional coach remotely? Yeah. So I I think it's, it's been a challenge, um, similar to the dynamic I think that teachers have with students and engagement, it's it's challenging to get people to want to engage in instructional coaching. Um, in our building, it's very much a volunteer uh, program where, where people come and they engage 
um, in coaching cycles with us. Um, we're finding that certainly at the beginning of the year, much of our coaching was around technology consulting and helping people get set up and getting their classrooms running. Um, I think, you know, getting people to want to dive into something that's longer than a single engagement or a single meeting is hard because their lives are so challenging and because, you know, you never know next week you might be told you need to be back in school or next week there might be something new that comes up. And so just the the lack of stability, I think, has made it hard for teachers to want to engage. Um, that being said, I've had many, many teachers engage in coaching cycles, you know, come in, tell me what it's like to be a student in my class. Or, um, you know, I'm really struggling with how to get students to turn their cameras on. And so I, you know, you have to get into the conversations about is your goal to have the students cameras on or is your goal for students to be engaged and what could engagement look like? And so to just mm -hmm. get teachers, I, I'm finding that as a coach, I actually enjoy the challenge of remote learning because it makes us rethink what we do for a living. And it makes us rethink this thing that's so familiar to us all of a sudden is strange. And that's a real opportunity, I think, to question our practices. Um, and so one of the things I've really taken to is in this period we have right now, before our school tells us maybe we're going back for hybrid, is to capture the goodness of what happened in remote. And, and what is it that, that we were doing in remote that we never did before so that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when we switch back and say, just forget it, let's throw all that stuff mm -hmm. out, let's go back to our old stuff. But like, what is magical that we're doing now that we couldn't ever do before and how do we try to keep that? Um, one example of that is, um, I like to walk around my classroom a lot and I have students working groups a lot, but you know, I need answer keys, I need like the system they're working on, I needed this, I needed that. Right now I have three screens in front of me and I can look every kid in the eye from right here and navigate from group to group without having to shuffle papers and carry things around. And so organizationally, one of the, there's a huge benefit for me to being remote because I have so many resources at my disposal and I can engage each kid based on where they are. So, yeah, I love that you talked about a couple of things. You brought up the idea of like, what's magical about remote learning and what can we take back? I mean, that, that, that theme has come up and also in almost all of my conversations with teachers. And then also what does engagement look like? Because like at, when we first started all doing this, it's like, oh my God, they all have their cameras off. They're not engaged. But we've, I think, slowly learned that engagement can look like many different things and take many different forms. And just because a camera's on doesn't mean they're engaged. Absolutely. So, and, and likewise, how, if they're yeah. just in front of us, their cameras right. may not be on. Right. Many times their cameras right. are not on. So what in the math classroom, both in your own classroom and what you've seen in um, the teachers that you help, um, what what does it look like engagement in the math classroom to you now? Yeah. So it's been an evolution, I would say. I know initially when I started to, just to go and observe math classrooms, you'd often see people try to just amp up their personality, thinking that would create more engagement. So I'm going to tell even funnier jokes, or I'm going to tell them more loudly, or I'm going to make mm -hmm. weirder faces, or it, and it just fell flat most of the time. And so a lot of teachers had to re-examine their entire game of like, what is it that I even do here? Um, so what does engagement look like in a math classroom these days? Um, 
there's a lot of technology tools out there that allow teachers to have a really strong visibility into uh, what students are doing at any given moment and actually have a better visibility than they would in a classroom because they can see it all on one screen simultaneously. So um, in our school, I've been fortunate, our school invests a lot in technology. So things like Edpuzzle or Pear Deck, um, we invest in textbooks that have online modules that, that you can watch as it's happening. Um, and so I know a lot of teachers are using those technologies, but I also know that teachers, uh, you know, some teachers have just given kids a headband and a, you know, a mirror, and now they can, you know, reflect their, their camera down to their paper and just see simultaneously what are kids writing down on their papers so that they can then give them real-time feedback. Huh, um, that's interesting. Another piece that I've seen teachers use that I think is magical about remote learning is that through the private chat function in Zoom, they can communicate individually with each student without any other student even knowing that it's happening, right? And so the mm -hmm. idea of being called out, I know a lot of students are self-conscious in math class and they don't want to volunteer answers and their word people can see their stuff. And that level of privacy, I think, provides a lot of kids comfort. And they've, they've told me so when I've asked them about it. So do you see a lot of, um, and do you use this in your own classroom, uh, in terms of how do you use the synchronous time? Like, do you have students, are you teaching new material? Are you having them work? Are they doing group work and breakout rooms? Like, what does that look like, synchronous time remotely in your math class, let's say? And granted, it's AP stats, so the level of the student who's taking that is probably pretty high. For sure. Um, but what what does that look like for you? So for me, I think, um, you know, coming into this challenge, I think for any classroom that I run, I feel like has to reflect the things that I value, regardless of the setting. And for me, um, having worked in corporations for about 10 years before I came into teaching, teaching kids how to communicate and collaborate is everything for me. Um, so kids are in groups almost all the time. Um, and I spend a lot of time at the beginning of the year teaching them how to be in groups and knowing when to ask for help and how to ask for help. So um, I tend to record videos and have students do any new content-based learning at home um, through the videos. And then when they come into class, they work in groups and apply those ideas. And, you know, so again, back to the technology, a nice thing is I can use a technology where I can literally see what they're writing at any given time in a breakout room and recognize like, oh, this group is struggling with this idea. Let me pop in, give them a piece of information, pop out while I can simultaneously see what every single group is doing. In a classroom, I can't see that. And what program are you using for that? So um, I'm using a program called Pear Deck which is a, an add-on to Google Slides that allows for a more interactive Google Slide uh, presentation. And do you find that the students um, work well in groups? So uh, certainly- In the breakout room groups? Yeah, so I certainly have an advantage, I think, in a, in a few ways. One is um, I have seniors, it's AP Stats. Um, so they've been together a long time in school um, the variability in uh, prior knowledge is lower. So I think that helps. But um, I take a lot of pride. I'm, a, I'm a, a board member of a group called the Complex Instruction Consortium, um, which is a group uh, based out of, of a philosophy from Stanford around how to do group work effectively in math classrooms. And so we hold seminars um, a couple times a year of just teaching teachers how to do this. And I implement this philosophy in, in my classroom and ha have helped other teachers do it. 
and they find that the upfront work actually pays off a lot of dividends in teaching kids um, to recognize when there are status differences and how to reconcile those within groups, right? So to just not make it like, oh, you're smarter, you're dumber, whatever, but like there's different statuses based on how you walk in the room, based on your socioeconomic status, your what you look like, your gender, and how do we recognize when these things are at play and how do we try to level the playing field, both as teachers as well as students in a group. Um, there's interventions we have that that keep the accountability within the group so that we're not teachers always flying in to save the day, but that we really ask further questions, but never really provide answers. And especially when the whole group doesn't have the question yet. And so over time, there's a dosage effect where groups become more and more effective at doing this, as long as we stick steady to the, the principles of it. And I find that that tends to pay dividends about starting the second quarter um, to the point where I pop in and students are like, go away, we got this. Do you keep the same groups all semester long? No. So I uh, switch them up fairly frequently, um, usually once a unit. Um, but I try to honor at least one person that they would like to work with and mm -hmm. try to avoid situations where they have people that they don't work well with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a huge believer in group work as well and do a lot of different, the same kind of movement, usually by unit or whatever. But um it's just interesting to hear how other disciplines, <clears throat> excuse me, use group work. Um, I know this is both, you know, something that we do in, inside of the classroom when we're in school, but also how, how we take that and um, make it work online. Um, you were talking about how you record your sort of lessons and the students watch that asynchronously. Was that something like flipping your classroom that you were doing prior to COVID or is this something new to you? No. So this is something that I have been doing prior to COVID. It's, it's funny. A lot of my coworkers have said, you've been preparing for COVID your entire career because <laughs> I've been implementing so many different technologies. Um, a lot of my goal is to try to take learners, um, who see mathematics as a very dependent discipline and create independent learners. And so I, I find that um, the, the you know 42 minutes or 60 minutes of where I spend my voice matters a lot. And so I don't wanna spend it in a way that teaches them that they have to be dependent on me. And so by making a video, while it's my voice, somehow students feel a little, it's a little bit disconnected because they're doing it on their own time and it's not me and they can't get me to respond to their specific questions. So I've been trying to implement techniques that get students to feel resourceful and realize that there's, there's a whole set of resources out in the world to learn math. And it's not just um, the teacher has to tell me how to do it because mathematics is a discipline that describes the world. It's not something that was human invented. It's just something that we've discovered. And so I want them to see that it's something they can discover as well. Do you, do you find that because you've now been teaching remote for five months or whatever it's been like, has that process, like, have you, do you feel like you've improved that process because of remote learning? Has it forced you to? For sure. For sure. And um, it's forced me to become more efficient um, in how do I organize it? Um, how do I sequence it? Um, how do I provide different entry points and exit points? Um, and how do I provide flexibility for students where this isn't working? Um, because I don't know why, but for some reason, this medium, this screen, where I feel like I'm trapped in the matrix, 
um, has, <laughs> has made me finally recognize that humanity really matters. Like I feel like as a math teacher, I don't think I recognize that in the same ways that other disciplines do because other disciplines are so humanities based. Mm-hmm. And as in math, it's easy to get caught up in the objectiveness and like, this is, you know, this is purity and like it's beauty and it's, you know, religious or spiritual or whatever, all these things. And I see these students on the screen and I'm like, I need to spend more time talking to them about them and about what they're interested in and what they're worried about. And so um, I've formed groups at lunch where kids come in and just hang out and we just talk. And I have groups in the evening where we play, you know, Jackbox games and just fun social based games just to let them feel human again, because Mm -hmm. this doesn't feel human. And as I think more and more about what this is, school doesn't feel that human in person either in my classrooms. And so this has really helped me recognize that that humanity really matters. And so because of that, I had to become even more efficient with those other pieces so that I could have the time to really Mm -hmm. honor their humanity. That's wonderful. So what has had to go? Like, like what have you, in terms of your curriculum, like what have you had to let go? Because both recognizing, giving space to recognize the humanity, but also just because you're not seeing the students every day. Yeah, a lot. So, I mean, in terms of minutes cut back that I see students, I used to see them about 210 minutes a week, and now I see them 120 minutes a week. Um, So there's a few things that have had to go. One is, you know, it's an AP stats class. So there is some level of, uh, let me give you some independent things to learn. Um, But I've also had to think about the tier at which I should offer that. So, So telling students, um, things like here's something extra. Um, it's not required, but, but it'll enhance your understanding of this particular idea. So if you're feeling like you're struggling with this idea, fine. So I think you know the depth at which I go into things in class has has uh, been cut, but I've been really selective about what those things are to make sure that I carry through the core principle of what the course is. So one thing I've had to examine is what is this course about as a holistic set of thinking principles that I want students to walk away from. Um, It's another thing I think in math we tend to not be great at is thinking about our courses holistically as opposed to unit-based or section-based. But like at the end of the day, what is the way I want a kid to think and how do I want them to think about their experience in my class? And the rest of the details kind of matter, kind of don't matter. Um, And so I've Um, I had a student the other day comment to me that in his econ class, they're only doing microeconomics because they didn't have time to do macro and they wanted to do micro well and how he appreciated that I'm going to cover the whole course. And I just made strategic decisions on sections or pieces of sections along the way that I thought weren't core to the overall message I wanted students to walk away with. You know, that, that's another theme, you know, I'm now in the second season of this podcast. So having like, there's so many echoes of, of different conversations, but that also that message of um, teachers have had to, the situation has forced teachers to really hone in on what is, what are the essential skills that I want students to get away from? What is the message I want them to leave with? What, what's the most important and salient pieces instead of like, let me just throw all this stuff at you. So right. I think in some ways, 
that's another positive about all this is making us really kind of think about what matters yeah. um, instead of just filling space. For sure. And and I feel like I had an advantage early in my career. I taught at a different school earlier in my career in Evanston. And um, I had some contentious relationships with students at times. And it took me a couple of those to recognize that that's actually the biggest opportunity I could be provided, right? Like without that struggle, if it's all smooth, there's actually no learning happening for me as a teacher. And so those contentious relationships, I eventually turned into ones that I've maintained even through college with with these students because I recognized it wasn't that they were trying to tell me I suck. It was was a recognition that they were trying to tell me that they needed a way to make it work for them and that they were reaching out to me, that they, they had honored me really by screaming at me or, you know, calling me out or whatever it was to try Mm -hmm. to say that this wasn't working for them. The students I worry about are the ones that don't do that now. And so I see remote learning in the same vein, that it's this opportunity for me to grow as opposed to just be on this glide path of I keep doing the same thing I've always been doing, but now I have to actually re-examine this strange thing and figure out how to make it familiar. Mm Mm-hmm. So how, how have you been like sane, sane throughout all of this? What do you do outside of school to like step away from all of it? Cause I know we're all working so much. We are. Yes. Um, I, you know, I have uh, my wife and my two boys. And so I've been spending a lot of time with them. We've been watching eighties um, and nineties movies. Um, my, my boys are nine and 11. Um, so, um, they're kind of right, right in that age. Um, I've been playing a lot of video games with my kids, which has been fun. Um, I've been, been binge watching. I'm on, um, the end of season one of Cobra Kai. Um, I watched power. Um, I've been, I tend to try to avoid the most trendy ones until they're not trendy. So I've been trying to avoid <laughs> Queen's Gambit, although I hear it's amazing. Oh, it's so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I avoided Harry Potter when that was a big thing and now I'm finally coming to it. So, um, but I think going on walks with my dog, I think every day has been really helping me in, in my sanity because otherwise I'd just be stuck in this room, um, mm. which I also sleep in. So it's, you know, it's just like, you know, the one-stop shop, the, the box that you're trapped in on the screen, the box you're trapped <laughs> in in the house. Um, <laughs> but also I think I've found a lot of solace um, in the humanity of my students and just hanging out with them at lunch and, and spending time with them in the evening, just Get, getting them to getting to see them as humans and getting them to see or getting to see them make plans going forward right because for me there's a little bit of like hope when I see someone making plans in the future as opposed to every day is the same day who knows what day it is we're doing the same thing every day but they're making plans to go to college and they're trying to figure out you know what they want to do with their parents um, next week and it's just fun to see also other people making plans. And that makes me feel hopeful for the future. What was your, your kids favorite eighties or nineties music movie you showed them? So um, it's, it's hit or miss. Um, They really like gremlins a lot. Um, They did not like planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, it's such a good one too. It is such a good one. So yeah, we're going through the the John Hughes. They liked um, Uncle Buck though, strangely Mm -hmm. enough. So yeah. Uh, but it's fun I have an I have an eight and an eleven year old, so I my kids are in the same wheelhouse. <laughs> yes. 
But thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. And uh, I think, you know, there's so many, as I said, themes that all the educators that I've talked to, we're all, you know, we really are trying to throw our hearts into this and and do something different. And um, it's just great to hear different voices and, um, you know, let kind of the world know that we uh, we're not just doing what we always do, you know? Yeah. And I really appreciate you letting me do this. I know when I heard about your podcast, I started to listen and I, I found it very therapeutic to hear other teachers were experiencing similar things to me. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, that's my, my goal is just to make it everyone, you know, teachers realize we're not alone. We're all kind of going through the same thing. So thanks so much for your insights. And uh, I wish you the best as you maybe go hybrid soon. Yes. Yes. It could be coming up in the next couple of months. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Bell. This show is hosted and produced by Evelyn Lauer. Music is written and performed by Jim Streisel and his band, The Dead Squirrels. If you are interested in being a guest on this show, please DM me on Twitter at Evelyn A. Lauer. I'm specifically looking for teachers who are currently teaching hybrid. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great week. Bye.